1: We have not had the opportunity to meet. My name is Kurt McDonald. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and this morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, church family, here's one thing I know. We are a forgetful people. (laughs) We are a forgetful people, which is why uh, when we go to the grocery store, we take a grocery list, because without said list, we would forget what we're there to get except for when we forget the list, (laughs) which is why we now uh, take the list and we put it on our phone so that we have the grocery list on the phone, except for we set our phone down and forget where we put it, which is why Apple has a phone locator for when you forget where your phone is. We are a forgetful people. We forget anniversaries. Uh, We forget our friend's birthday. Uh, We forget what time meetings start. Hello, Deacons in the room. We forget what time meetings start. We forget lyrics to songs that we once had memorized. Uh, The vast majority of what we learned in high school and college, we forgot, right? I mean, (laughs) we forgot what we were supposed to learn about algebra. Look, I didn't know anything about algebra, whatever I did learn in high school about it, I've totally forgotten it at this point. We are a forgetful people. Well, let me refine that. We have a selective memory, how about that? We are forgetful people with a selective memory because we can remember the unkind or careless words someone said to us 10 years ago. We can remember all the, fall, the faults of our spouse. <laughs> there are definitely some things uh, that we that we can remember. We remember the time that we were left out or neglected. We remember those things, but the problem is we often forget the most important things. The most important things we Forget And and, and let me just say, the most important thing to remember is not your password or your login for your bank account. Help me today. The most important thing for you to remember is actually not your wedding anniversary, although it's really bad if you forget that, fellas. Just throwing that out there. The most important thing for us to remember is what the Lord has done. That is the most important thing for us to remember, and yet that is the thing that we forget the most. We forget the kindness of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, how many times the Lord has come through for us and been there for us, and all the things that the Lord has done for us, that is the precise thing that we forget. If you're taking notes, we need to regularly reminded of what the Lord has done we need to be regularly reminded. This has to be a pattern in our life. We have to set things up in our life so that we're regularly being reminded of what the Lord has done for us. Namely, we need to be reminded of what Jesus has done on the cross, amen? This is why week by week, when you come here, hopefully you're getting one message. And that message is Jesus' death on the cross in our place for our sins. It's something that we say again and again and again. That's the message that comes through the music. That's the message that should be coming from the sermons. That's the message. As we come to the table and we observe communion, that's the message that we're proclaiming again and again and again. Why? Why do we keep saying the same thing? Because we're a forgetful people. And we need to be reminded of it again and again and again. To say it another way, we need regular rhythms to realign ourselves with the truth of the gospel. We need a regular rhythm to realign ourselves with the truth of the gospel. We need to regularly, because we often forget, engage in activities that will bring us back to the most important thing that is Jesus Christ. Uh, (laughs) Growing up, my mom used to say this phrase to me. Uh, Usually, she would say this phrase to me when I was misbehaving or getting in trouble Sometimes she would preemptively say this phrase to me if I was going out somewhere to a party or to hang out with friends. She would say this phrase, son, remember yourself. (laughs) Anybody's mama say that to them? Son, remember yourself. What did she mean by that? What she meant is in light of who you know that you are, act accordingly. Remember yourself. Again, she would say that when I was misbehaving, which wasn't very often. Now, (laughs) we need to remember who Christ is so that we can act accordingly. That's that's what we're going to see in our text today. The truth is, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, there is a command again and again and again, remember, remember what the Lord has done, remember what the Lord has done. And then as we move into the New Testament again and again, remember what the Lord has done. This is a constant command from the Bible, even uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, that that great prayer, the prayer known as the Shema, it goes like this, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, our Lord God is one. And then it goes on to say, you need to teach these things to your kids. You-, you, need to re- you need to write these things on the doorposts of your house. And it goes on and on and on. And-, and here's what it says in Deuteronomy six twelve at the very end of that great prayer known as the Shema, it says this, then take care, Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember, don't forget that it's, that God is the one who rescued you. God is the one who got you out of slavery. Don't forget, keep on remembering. You see, church family, when we are fearful over money, we have forgotten that the Lord always provides. Help me today. When we are anxious about the future, we have forgotten that he always gets us through. When we're feeling alone, it's because we have failed to remember that he is always by our side. And so if you only hear me say one thing this morning, here it is, we need to be reminded to remember. We need to be reminded to remember, okay? We're a forgetful people, which is why in our text today, uh, Jesus is going to institute what is known as the Lord's Supper, The, the institute the ritual, the habit that we practice here, the sacrament that we practice here every week. We practice this this sacrament every week so that we can remind ourselves. And here's the text today where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And and in Luke, Luke records this phrase for us. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, we need to to navigate uh, through our text today Here's how we'll get through it first in verses one to six. We're going to see plots against Jesus, plots against Jesus. Second, second, we're going to see preparation of the meal. Third, Passover changed. And fourth, predestined to suffer. Plots against Jesus, preparation of the meal, Passover changed and predestined to suffer. That's alliteration just in case you forgot. Now. First, plots against Jesus. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. Now, I'm assuming I'm speaking to a room full of Gentiles, non-Jewish folk. If you're here and you're Jewish, we're so glad you're here. But most of us in the room are not. And so to talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread or to talk about Passover is kind of lost on us. We We've never sat through this type of dinner. We've never celebrated these holidays in this way. And so here's what we do know. Many of us in the room do remember the story from Exodus. When the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt, God uh, sends Moses to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And then there's the series of plagues. He refuses to let his people go. We know the very last and final plague, which is the death of the firstborn son. And so in order to avoid the death angel, which was coming upon Egypt, the the people of Israel are instructed to kill and sacrifice a lamb and to take that lamb's blood and to put it on the doorpost and to put it on the lintel. And then that death angel, which was ascending on them, would pass over their houses. And so in every house in all of Egypt, there was either a dead lamb or a dead son. This is what they're celebrating they're celebrating the fact that Jesus, uh, God had come and had set them free from slavery in Egypt and, and had released them. And the death of this lamb was a picture of that. And so they would sacrifice a lamb and they would eat this meal together with breaking of unleavened bread right? The unleavened bread because they were trying to get out of there. They didn't have time to put the leavening agent in the bread and let it rise. They just, they got to make the bread and go. So it was unleavened bread. And they're also celebrating at the very center of this ceremony was a roasted a roasted lamb. They would also eat these bitter herbs, which was a reminder of the bitterness in Egypt. They would also have this red fruit paste that they would make, which would remind them of them making bricks out of the mud. So, so th- this beautiful ceremony, which they would all partake in. Okay, look at verse 2 together. Go with me this morning? And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to put him to death, for they feared the people. Again, remember, at this point, Jesus still has good standing with the people. He's hours away from his arrest. He's hours away from the trials. He's hours away from being sentenced to death. But right now, he's still in good graces with the crowds. Again, remember, he's the guy that heals the sick, <laughs> He's the guy that feeds everybody, right? He. So what, what these religious leaders can't do is just come and arrest him because there might be a riot. Remember, this is Passover. And so uh, all the pilgrims from all over the empire have come to Jerusalem. So there's tons of people in the city, thousands and thousands and thousands of additional people in Jerusalem. The last thing they want is a riot because they've, they've arrested Jesus at the wrong time. So that, that's the problem that they're facing. It's it's almost as if what what these chief priests really need is an inside man. Look at verse three. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. Now, I I need to explain this. I'm gonna do my best not to get on a rabbit trail, so y'all hold me accountable. The influence of Satan here should not be seen as irresistible. as if Judas was really trying to follow Jesus and do the right thing, yet Satan entered into him and took him off course. That's not what's happening here. Judas has not been on the same page with the disciples at all. And so he has allowed, Judas has allowed Satan to take control of him. Here's how we know that is the case, is because Judas is held responsible for his actions. So so it's not as if he was really trying to do the right thing, really trying to follow the Lord, yet Satan got him. No, he's he's been headed down a different road from the beginning. Okay, verse four. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers to how they might betray him. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So uh, he sought the opportunity to betray him in the absence of the crowd, <laughs> so they're looking for an opportunity to get Jesus when he's by himself because they don't know when he's by himself or when he's with people. When he, Jesus isn't posting on social media, you know, hanging out with the crowds today, and they could look and see if he's with the crowds or was, so. They need an inside man, and Judas becomes that inside man. And it says here that he has received money. We know all throughout uh, the accounts of Judas we see that he has an inappropriate relationship with money. As a matter of fact, he was the one that was in charge of the money for the whole disciple band. Uh, and in John chapter 12, uh, it tells us that he was helping himself to the money that they were collecting. And so uh, he, he has uh, been this type of person from the beginning. But is is that the motive? Is that why? he Is it strictly for money? Is that why he betrayed Jesus? I mean, this is very curious, church family. I mean, think about this. Judas has seen the miracles. He's been there from the very beginning. He's watched Jesus teach. He's watched Jesus calm the storm. I mean, do you understand everything that he's seen? I mean, what's the motive here? Is it purely money? Or, Or maybe he's frustrated like many of the other people that the kingdom of God has not come in quite like they expected it to, that Jesus hasn't led the revolution against the Romans, and he's just frustrated with the whole thing. What are his motives? Well, well, the text really doesn't tell us, but here is what we can be sure of. Judas forgot who Jesus was. Judas, even though he had seen the miracles, even though he had been there, he's intentionally choosing to push the Lord aside, he's intentionally choosing to forget who Jesus is, who Jesus had said he is, and go down a completely different path. If you're taking notes, we need to be reminded to remember lest we walk away from the faith. This is what's happening to Judas. He He's he's done. He walks away from the Lord. Now, to be sure, church family, just so that I'm not being confusing here, true believers cannot lose their faith, but true believers can go through a season of rebellion. This is why we're here this morning, church family, to remind each other so that we don't walk away from the faith. We're here to remind, this is why we go to community groups, to remind each other so we don't stray off the path. This is why we get together and share meals with one another in one another's homes so that we can remind each other of the goodness of the Lord lest we walk away from the faith. Okay, it's time to prepare the meal. Let's look at it together. Second point, preparation of the meal in verses 7 through 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Um, There was a particular day in this holiday that they had to go get a lamb. This usually happened around three o'clock in the afternoon. They would take this lamb to the temple. The temple priests were there. The temple priests then would bless this animal. They would slaughter the animal. They would dress the animal, skin the animal, and then give it back to you. And you would carry that animal home for it to be roasted and cooked for that evening's dinner. That's what's happening here in in this text. So these priests, when, when you think about priests, like, yes, they did a lot of praying and all that sort of thing, but these guys were also basically butchers in the temple. They slaughtered hundreds and hundreds of lambs every Passover. Literally rivers of blood would run out from the temple at the amount of lambs that they would slaughter and send home for people to cook for the Passover meals. Look at verse eight together. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said, where would you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you enter into the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. Now, a lot of debate over what's actually going on here in this text. One of two things, either this is um, Jesus has prearranged a meeting place for them to go. So he has pulled one of his other disciples aside and said, hey, the Passover's coming up. Me and my other disciples, we're gonna come to your house. And so I need you to send one of your servants out with a water jar. My guys will come. So so this is either prearranged or this is Jesus' supernatural knowledge of the fact that there is a guy with a water jar and a spare room. Which one it is, discuss it in your community groups. I don't know. What we do know uh, okay, so just like when uh, when he sends them in to go get the donkey that's tied, when he does his triumphal entry again, was that prearranged? Was that was that his miraculous knowledge of things? Well, again, we don't know. What we do know here is that it's strange that a man is carrying a water jar. Now, ladies in the room, don't don't shoot the messenger. Now, I'm just telling you, this is a part of their culture. Was Women did that type of work. Women were the ones that would go out and get water and carry water jars. So it would have been strange to see a man carrying a water jar and they would have been able to go, oh, that's strange. That's the guy that Jesus was talking about. And so they follow him. All that aside, the main point of the whole thing is in verse 13. Did you see verse 13? Let's read it together. And they went and found it. What does that say, church family? Just as he told them and they prepared the passover there. Oh y'all aren't, y'all are not fired up about this I am. I, I want you to see this now. He doesn't tell the whole group. He tells Peter and John. He pulls Peter and John aside and sends them on this covert mission to go find the secret location why so that Judas will not know. Because if Judas were to find out, then he would know that they were just alone in the upper room and they would have sent the temple guards to go and harass him before the appointed time before the time that Jesus could sit. Jesus is about to say, I'm eagerly desirous to have this meal with you. And then he institutes the Lord's Supper. If he were to get arrested before, if if Judas were to know, and if he were to get arrested before, he would not have been able to institute the Lord's Supper. Jesus is going to be arrested. Jesus is going to be murdered. He knows that, but he is going to be doing those things in the timing of the Lord, not decided by Judas and the chief priests. This is absolutely incredible. It happened just as he had told them. If you're taking notes, we need to be reminded to remember that everything that is taking place is according to God's plan. We need to constantly remind each other, we need to remind ourselves that everything that is happening in this world is happening according to God's plan. Church family, if you're anything like me, I wake up anxious, fearful, and worried all the time. I know I'm alone. I wake up anxious, worried, and fearful. Listen, I'm worried and fearful about the world my daughters are going to grow up in. I'm worried about that. I, I'm, I stay up at night thinking about that. Listen, I'm worried about what's going on in Israel right now. I'm worried about what's going on in Ukraine right now. I'm, I'm worried about that stuff. Listen, I'm, I'm freaking out about AI right now, artificial intelligence. Who knows what's going to happen with that stuff? I mean, is it going to turn into robots and come kill us all? What's happening? And so we need to be reminded that everything that's happening in Israel, everything that's happening in Ukraine, everything that's happening with AI, everything that's happening all across the entire universe is in the plan and will of God. And it will happen at his appointed time. I need y'all to remind me of that. Amen. So that I'm not so worried and fearful and anxious. Okay. Third, the Passover change. The Passover changed. What Jesus does in verses 14 through 20 is he takes a ceremony, this holiday that they had practiced in a specific way, literally for hundreds of years, they had been doing this feast, this festival in this same way, In this practice, with four different cups, with the bread meaning this, and they would explain that with the lamb meaning this, and they would explain that with the bitter herbs meaning this particular thing representing the bitterness of the slavery in Egypt. It happened this exact same way for hundreds of years, and Jesus is about to change it. They were celebrating the fact that God had set them free from slavery in Egypt That's what the ceremony was about. That's what the lamb represented. But instead of pointing to that, Jesus is gonna change everything and he's gonna say, this ceremony now, it points to me. That's what Jesus is gonna do. Let's look at these verses together. And the hour came and he reclined at the table with the apostles. Now, you guys have all seen the famous painting of the Last Supper, so you know what's going on here. They're all sitting on one side of the table. Jesus is in the middle. He's glowing a little bit. They're all wearing robes uh, from the 15th century, Italian made. You know, you've seen. uh... Well, of course, that's not the scene at all. That's not the scene. So, So there would have been a low circular table in the middle of a large upper room. Then there would have been low slung couches that would surround the table. And each man, this is how they had to observe this. They had to observe this meal in a reclined, relaxed position, showing that they were no longer slaves, but that they were free. And so they would lean on their left arm, lay down on the couch, lean on their left arm, and then they would all eat with their right hand, and they would all lay in a circle all around the table as the food was brought out. That's that's the scene. Can you see the disciples there laying on these couches around this table with the Lord Jesus. The oil lamps are lit and, and they're there talking together with one another. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now watch it, wait, wait, wait. Jesus is about to make two commitments, two commitments to them. It's so important what he says, look at it for i tell you first one i will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of god better translated i won't eat it again so he's going to eat this passover meal with them but he's not going to practice this passover meal until the kingdom of god fully and completely comes that's his first commitment to them i'm not going to i'm not going to share the passover meal again period and until we're all together to to do it look at verse 17 And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, here's the second one, I will not, so there's two I will nots. The first, I will not practice the Passover again. The second one is I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, uh, as as just a sidebar again, there's in this ceremony, in this ritual, there are four cups of wine that they all share together. And so here he's, he's giving out the first cup that they all pass around. And as they're doing that, he's telling them, I'm not gonna eat this Passover meal again until the fullness of the kingdom of God comes. To say it another way, I'm not gonna share this Passover meal until my second coming. And then his second commitment or his second promise to them is, I'm not gonna drink wine. So the Lord has been in heaven for some 2000 years not practicing this meal, and also not drinking wine? Why? <laughs> Why does Jesus make these two strong, emphatic commitments to, to the disciples and to these people? I will not have the Passover, and I will not drink wine. The answer, church family, is in verse 15. The answer is in verse 15. He says, I'll read it again. He says, "As I have earnestly desired, Uh, it's it's actually translated, I have desired with a deep desire to share this meal with you. Meaning this, Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves them. He is bumbling and stumbling and fumbling as they are, (laughs) as we are, amen. Jesus still loves them. He, He wants to be with them. And he's saying, if you guys can't be there to eat this meal with me, I'm gonna wait for you. I'm not going to have this meal without you because I love you. He loves his people. This is exactly what Jesus is communicating to us. He loves his people. And so church family, all of us just had Thanksgiving. Amen. It was glorious. The angels sung. It was great. Amen. But but we all know that as the family gathers together around the Thanksgiving table, you're not supposed to pray and eat until everybody gets there. You're not supposed to do that. Why? Because you love your family and you're supposed to wait on Now, if you didn't wait on your family, shame on you. You should have, that's what you're supposed to do. That's exactly what what Jesus is doing here. And so I want us to see this. I, I want us to hear that this morning that Jesus loves his disciples. We also are Jesus' disciples. And so he loves us and Jesus ain't gonna start supper without you. Jesus is gonna wait on you because he loves you to have this meal. We might tell people, oh, y'all, I'm gonna be late. Y'all go ahead and eat. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm gonna wait on you because I love you. Jesus does not want to eat this meal or celebrate with wine until all of his family is gathered around his table in his forever kingdom. What a great savior we have. And I'm here to remind you this morning that you are loved by God. I'm here to remind you this morning that Jesus is, eagerly is waiting to share a meal with you. You might feel lonely. You might feel like nobody cares about you. You might feel like everybody's forgotten about you. Jesus hasn't, and he is eager to spend time with you. He is eager to have a meal with you. He is eager for you to commune with him in prayer, and he is longing and waiting for that great day when he will return, when the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll, and he will ascend down here, and there will be a great banquet table set with all of his people there, and he is eager to have that meal with you. Praise him, praise his name. If you're taking notes, we need to be reminded to remember that we have a God who loves us. We have a God who loves us. Listen to me. He doesn't love some future version of you that has it all together. He loves you. He's so good to us, church family. He doesn't just simply tolerate you. He's eager to have a meal with you. Because he loves you. He earnestly desires this. Look at verse 19 with me. Y'all still with me this morning? Okay, verse 19. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Here it is. Do this in remembrance of me taking the bread breaking the bread and distributing the bread was the normal course of how this ceremony should be practiced but what he says next is way off script what he says next is not in the the normal way of this ceremony taking place he he goes off script he he takes the passover in a totally different direction and instead of saying this unleavened bread represents our hasty escape from Egypt, which is what he was supposed to say. Instead, he takes that bread and he breaks it, showing them what's going to happen to his own body. And he's saying, this broken bread is a picture. It's a picture. It's a symbol of how his body was going to be broken as they beat him and scourged him. A picture of how his body would be broken as they mocked him and spit on him and punched him. It was a picture of how his body would be broken uh, as, as they nailed spikes into his hands and into his feet and hung him on the cross. It was a picture of his broken body as they stabbed him in the side with a spear. This is my body. And he breaks that bread. And gives it to him. The act of observing this meal of Passover was an act of remembering what God had done for them during the Exodus. But now Jesus is saying that this meal is to remember him, not because they have been set free from slavery in Egypt, but because they've been set free from the slavery of their sin. And his broken body is a representation of that. By breaking the bread, he was showing them what was going to happen to him and that it was for. Them substitutionary atonement. Let's look at verse 20 together. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He begins by taking this cup and and he's saying that this cup is going to be poured out. Again, a representation of his life blood being poured out. Saying that this cup is going to be poured out is pointing to the fact that he's going to die. That's what he means by that, that this cup is poured out. He then says the cup is poured out for you, pointing to substitutionary atonement, meaning Jesus in our place for our sins. And, and then he, he introduces this new idea. Look at it. It's the cup that's poured out for you, and it's the new covenant. The old covenant was given to them in the law, and the prophets, and it was obey the rules and commandments. This is what had been given to them, and yet they had failed to obey this covenant. They couldn't stay in covenant, but they kept breaking the covenant. And so what's happening here is there's going to be a new covenant. Again, this new covenant is spoken of in the Old Testament in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, and this new covenant is going to be written on their hearts, and this new covenant is going to be for the forgiveness of their sins. That's the new covenant that Jesus is communicating to them. And then he tells them the way in which this new covenant is going to arrive. Namely, look at that very last section there in verse 20. New covenant in my blood. The wine in the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood being poured out for them, his death his death in their place for their sins. Listen to the way the apostle Paul says it. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. He says this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Don't you know, church family, That that's what the church has been doing for thousands of years. And don't you know, that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna join in the proclamation of Jesus' death as as we come up front or as we go to the back and, and we take that piece of bread we're engaging with and reinforcing and joining in with Jesus as we take that piece of bread as a representation of his broken body. We're joining in with Jesus and with all of the church universal as we take that cup that is filled with juice or wine and we consume it. We're we're remembering that Jesus has died in our place for our sins. And this is so beautiful. I hope hope this morning that we don't miss the beauty of it. We all stand together and we go and we come as, as a family, as a church family, as we stand and come and take communion, what we're saying together collectively is that I need Jesus' broken body for me, and I need Jesus' shed blood, and the person in front of you and the person behind you, you're joining in in reminding each other that we need the cross. It's a beautiful thing. C- communion, communion is not something to be done by yourself off in a closet. Communion is something to be done together with your church family in the context of a local church that you are a member of. That's the intention of the Lord's Supper. That's that's what he wants us to do. If you're taking notes, we need to be reminded to remember Jesus's substitutionary atonement. We need to constantly remind each other of that, meaning this, I don't have to earn grace from God. (laughs) By the very nature of the word grace means it can't be earned. We don't have to earn grace from God. I don't have to do my best to be righteous. I already have Jesus's righteousness. I am fully and completely accepted in the eyes of God. He loves me, period, paragraph. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. Okay, fourth and last, fourth and last, predestined to suffer. So so as he takes this bread and as he lifts this cup, This isn't plan B. It's not as if the Holy Trinity in the heavens above looked down upon Adam and Eve and their sin and thought, oh my me, what are we gonna do? They had a plan. This was predestined for Jesus to come and die in our place for our sins. Let's look at it together. Predestined to suffer, verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, and immediately they all went. <laughs> no, th- no, this is a, a phrase or a- an expression. The hand that's on the table with me, meaning on the table, the the family table that we sit around and share meals together with. That table, that hand of friendship and fellowship on the table where we commune together. It's it's a it's a Jewish expression. He's saying that somebody who's close to me and is supposed to love me, is going to betray me. And that's what makes the betrayal that much worse. Look at verse 22 together. For the Son of Man goes, here it is, look at these words, as it has been determined. It was predestined before the foundations of the world that the Lamb would be slain. That's what Jesus is saying. Last verses now, the end of 22 on to 23. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Now, church family, a gospel community church, we believe in God's sovereign control over the universe and everything in it. And we also believe in human responsibility. Meaning this, evil men like Judas and the, the Jewish leaders were planning a murder, which is evil. We agree with that, right? Murder is evil. And that's what these men are planning. Yet God in his sovereign power could use their evil motivations for his good purposes. That's how mighty and powerful our God is. Okay, what I need to do now is is bring us back from 2000 years ago in that room, in that last supper. and, And we need to talk about what this means for us today. We need to talk about what this Last Supper and the call to remember is going to mean for you as you go to work tomorrow, as, as you get uh, into the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, and what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, here's what it means. It's really, one. I have one point here of application, but several subpoints. It goes like this. First, we need to create rhythms of remembering. Jesus' call here in instituting this supper is because he knows we're a forgetful people. He knows we're forgetful. And so he says, okay, I'm going to institute this supper so that you'll repeat it and be reminded of what I've done for you because I know you're going to forget. And so what we need to do in our own lives is create rhythms of reminding. What would those be? Well, here's, here's one. Regularly listen to gospel preaching. Man, that's a a great way for you to remind yourself of the gospel, regularly listen to gospel preaching. Man, I I listen to sermons all week long. You guys probably know that. I listen to sermons all week. I have my go-to websites that I go to that I download sermons. I'm constantly earbuds in listening to gospel preaching because I want that gospel preaching to wash over me and to remind me of the goodness Of God. Uh, Here here you go. Uh, Go to thegospelcoalition.org. I highly recommend that website, thegospelcoalition.org. Tons of resources, tons of gospel-centered preaching that you could. Or you can go to monergism.com. Again, another great resource. Tons and tons of sermons. Okay, I'm going to give you some great preachers. Are you ready? Go listen to John Piper. Go listen to Alistair Begg. Go listen to Ligon Duncan and my personal favorite, Ray Orland great gospel preachers and a great way that you can cultivate a rhythm of just reminding yourself of the gospel is to listen to good gospel preaching by going to those websites, by listening to these guys. I highly recommend those names I just gave you. That's a great way. Okay, here's another one. Practice the Lord's Supper every week with your church family. Practice the Lord's Supper every week with your church family. Again, that's what we're doing here. That's why you're here this morning. That's why we have our services built the way that we've built them, because we want to remind you. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. And so every week, every week, show up here ready, ready to receive the Lord's Supper and be reminded of what God has done for us in our place for our sins. Here's another one. Attend your community group. Attend you. that's We have built this whole community group system. We've trained the leaders. We've signed them up. We've put you in groups. We've put you in houses with other people. Why? So that you can remind each other. That's what the whole thing's for. That's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do anyway, is get you in a a living room with other people who need to be reminded so that they can remind you and you can remind them about what God has done, right? So listen to gospel preaching, practice the Lord's Supper every week with your church family, attend your community group. How about this? Just as a general rule, Avoid the things that make you forget. Avoid the things that make you forget. That might be some people in your life. Help me today. Nobody said, oh my. There there might be some people in your life that actively make you forget about the goodness of God. And and maybe you need to set some boundaries. Again, use wisdom, use discernment. I'm not saying just kick people out of your life. That's not what I mean at all. But set boundaries. Uh, How about social media? I wish I had some time to talk about that, about how that makes us forget about the goodness of God. Maybe consider that. How about questionable content on all the streaming services that we watch, right? What are the things that that make you forget? Or what about all the amount of time that we spend just staring into a screen, a device, whether it's your phone or your iPad or your TV, or what is it that's making you forget? How about substitute this instead? Read a book, (laughs) Do you guys know what a book is? It doesn't have buttons. It doesn't have a screen. It has pages. They're amazing. You should read one. How about this? Uh, I'll just, okay, go read uh, books by C.S. Lewis. Amen? That will help you remember. Go read books uh, or sermons by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Just amazing. How about Jonathan Edwards? Anybody know who Jonathan Edwards is? Go read some stuff from Jonathan Edwards or John Bunyan or J.I. Packer or basically anything from a Puritans. All of that will help you remember. All of that will help you remember. Avoid the things that that make you, okay. Listen, church family, I'm done. I'm done preaching to you today, Um, but I got one more thing to say. I wanna say this. One last thing I wanna point out. The whole Passover meal, the whole Passover meal is about the lamb in the middle of the table because the lamb, remember, was sacrificed in Egypt because they needed the blood to put on the doorpost and and that's what that's what the angel of death knew to pass over and so the whole meal it was all about the lamb the meal was centered on the lamb yet curiously in our text today did you see any mention of the lamb the lamb was not mentioned in the text at all they didn't talk about the lamb that was in the middle of the table because the lamb was seated at the table The apostle Paul has this to say. Uh, He says in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul declares that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so church family, I'm here to tell you this morning, we need to be reminded to remember. Church family, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord's birth, him stepping out of heaven and putting on flesh. Remember his miracles. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. Remember his teaching. He taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love God. Remember his perfect life. Remember his agonizing death. Remember his victorious resurrection. Remember his ascension into heaven. Remember his sovereign reign over all. Remember his love for you you, remember his death for you as the Passover lamb. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for this great ceremony, this great institution, this great sacrament, which you have given us known as the Lord's Supper. Thank you for giving us a tool that will help us remember because we are a forgetful people. Lord, as Gospel Community Church gathers this morning to partake of your Lord's Supper, would you help us remember? Would you bring to our minds all the goodness, all the blessings which you have given us? Would you do that mighty work here among us this morning? I ask and pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.